Wow, like I said, eight days till Christmas. It's going to be an amazing Christmas season. It's going to be some great services starting next Saturday at 7 o'clock and then 4 on Sunday in the morning, in the afternoon. It's just going to be a, a, a great time together. And I look forward to that. One of the big questions I always have at Christmas is what do you get for the person who has everything? You, you've all got someone like that in your life, right? You know, some people you can just, you just kind of know. Or maybe they already put their wish list out there on Amazon for you. Those are great, you know. But then there's always somebody that you, I don't even have any idea what to get for them. And if I could get what they really wanted, you know, I probably couldn't afford it anyway, right? So... What am I going to get for them? I remember uh, my dad. He was always so hard to, to shop for. And, and one time, Laura and I just decided a few years ago just to give him a gag gift but not tell him. And so we bought the most awful tie. It was terrible. And we, we packaged it up really nicely. And we gave it to him for Christmas. And he opened it up. And we acted like we had searched high and low. And we were just really dead serious about it. And we just thought this would look so good on him. When he got up, you know, when he spoke and when he did different things. And he's just looking at it. You can just see him looking at it. And he's trying to figure out what to say. And he says, it is beautiful. Thank you. You know, like that. And then finally, after about five minutes, we told him that we were kidding. He goes, I was wondering about that, you know. Because he's looking at this, this thing. My kids gave me one time. They could never figure out what to give me. So one time they gave me coffee made from the excrement of a civet cat. Now, that's amazing stuff, you know. It's, it, it, it's, it, it seems as if they found out that the civet cat only eats the very best beans, okay? And so then, and then there's something with the gastric juices that really flavors it. So if you want to come over for a cup, you know, feel free. Uh, probably still got some left. Um, what do you get for the God who has everything? I mean, the Bible says that God created it all the bible says that jesus holds it all together what do you get for this this god of ours it's his birthday right it's jesus birthday we're celebrating what do you get for him what do you do for him fortunately jesus didn't uh, leave us hanging on that one fortunately god let us know what he wants he put it out there for us so that we could know. And it's, it's hidden away in, in one part of the Bible. It's the little book of Micah. You probably might have missed it. It's in the Minor Prophets. The section of the Old Testament that we call the Minor Prophets. Not because their message was minor. But because they were uh, short little messages. Some of you wish you had a minor pastor that would do short little messages. Right? That's, that is um, why they call it the Minor Prophets. And it's, Micah's book is hidden back in there. Micah lived about 700 B.C., 700 before Christ. And uh, he was a contemporary with Isaiah and Hosea. And you see some similarities in, in their writings. If you were going to uh, do a character sketch of Micah, it would be straightforward, plain spoken, no nonsense, a little bit in your face. And he couldn't stand corruption in any of its forms he was for the common man he hated corruption it was Micah who told us where Jesus was going to be born 700 years before Jesus ever came Micah 5 2 says but you Bethlehem Ephrathah 
who are little to be among the clans of Judah. From you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose origin is from of old, from ancient days. Bethlehem. And we see that 700 years before. Now, during Micah's reign, uh, time of prophesying, there was political corruption. I mean, the, the leaders were taking bribes. They were patting their own, you know, nests. And, and it was just a horrible time of political corruption. There was this kind of religious popularity contest. Who could say what the people wanted the best and draw the biggest crowd? So they would try to speak, you know, some, all these positive messages and, and really trying to get the people excited to come and, and hear them. So all these different priests and speakers and stuff. And then there was moral chaos. It kind of came somewhat from the first two, but the people would come on the Lord's day, on, would come on the Sabbath, and, and they would do sacrifices and things, and then they would go out and they would just live far from God's precepts. They would just kind of just live the way they wanted to. It says in some places that everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And I, I feel like that Micah could have been written in 2017, probably, right? And, and there would be so many similarities with us today. But dropped into this severe message from God through Micah is an amazing passage of Scripture, one of my favorites in all of Scripture, and it tells us exactly what God wants from us. Look there in your worship folder. Open it up. I'll put them there for you. They'll be up on the big screen too. You might want to take a few notes because this is crucial. This is what God wants from us at Christmas. This is what God wants from us every day. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with Thousands of rams with 10,000 rivers of oil. Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Now, if you've been to our DNA class, who is Community of Faith, you will find that we are built around these things. Act justly, love mercy, walk humbly. Because this is what he asks of us. This is his request of us. It's interesting. Let's break it down a little bit and we'll talk through it. And I think some of us, it's going to be a life-changing moment for us. So what does God want from his people? First, Hosea, I mean, uh, first Micah gives the, the wrong answers. The wrong answers, quality of sacrifice maybe. Does he want, with what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? The yearling calf was the perfect, this is what the priests in this time said, that is the perfect gift. It was the most expensive. It was the greatest sacrifice they could bring. And so they're saying, I'm gonna try to bring quality to you, God. I'm going to try, try to bring some quality stuff. I mean, this is going to impress you. And Micah says, God wasn't impressed. He's not impressed. And then it goes on. What about, well, if quality doesn't do it, what about quantity? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, 10,000 rivers of oil? What if you were just, you just went all out and you spent all of your money and you just 
gave him all, you sacrificed 10,000 rams. Micah said, no, he's not interested in the quantity either of what you bring to him as a sacrifice. What about the ultimate sacrifice? Micah goes on to say, shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Now, this was happening all over in the nations all around Israel at this time. There was child sacrifice going on everywhere. And, and, you know, a lot of people thought that if they made that ultimate sacrifice, God would hear them. So when there was really serious things, they would offer their firstborn or they would offer one of their children up to the, the gods. Molech was one of the big gods. It's interesting because right outside of Mexico City where Laura and I served as missionaries for uh, about seven or eight years, there are pyramids and they're bigger than the pyramids in Egypt. A lot of people don't know that. In Tenochtitlan, you go out there and there are these giant pyramids. And, and that's where the Aztec people would worship and sacrifice to their gods. And they made human sacrifices. And they would sacrifice humans by the hundreds when, the, when uh, it didn't rain for some months. They would sacrifice little children and try to make them cry before they sacrificed them because they thought the tears would bring the rain. And we've seen people try to appease their gods in all these different ways, in all these different cultures, down through the years. And Micah is going, that's not how you make God happy. In fact, that's an abomination to God. It says all through the scripture. So what is the right answer? That brings us to verse 8. Like I said, one of my favorite verses. One you might want to commit to memory or put on a card and, and stick it up on your mirror or somewhere in your car so that you see exactly what God is looking for in our life. He has shown you, O oh mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. The word justly, justice, is the word in Hebrew, mishpat. It's usually spoken of God. God is a God of justice I was watching a a dateline show the other day and basically the murderer pretty much got off almost scot-free and and I was like oh no I mean it was obvious you know and somehow there's things that the jury wasn't presented and you just justice is perverted a lot of times in our society and and, and I was really actually kind of angry about it and, and and it was almost as if God spoke into my spirit like It's going to be okay. I've got it. One day, justice will be served because I'm a God of justice. Some of you have been treated really unjustly in your life. You can trust that one day God is going to set this right. He is going to make things right. In fact, that's really what I feel like justice is about. It's about making things right in this oh-so-wrong world of ours. And he asked us to do that too. And you've done that in, in, in so many ways. Uh, I, working with the Batwa people of Africa, this is one of the things I'm so proud of you about. You have changed a whole country, Burundi, small little country in the central part of Africa, right by Lake Tanganyika. And they called the Batwa people, who used to be called the pygmies, they're the little people, they called them the dogs. Because the other tribes said they're not humans. Their kids can't go to school here. 
their dogs and they're making $100 a year, two out of 10 of their kids aren't living to age five and community of faith, you stepped in and you've made such an impact for them. And things have begun to turn around. We walked in business with them, in friendship with them, a bank giving microloans and doing other things. And, and, and we've watched, they're some of the hardest working people in the world. And even the government of Burundi has begun to recognize them, give them citizenship for the very first time. And what's amazing is as they've economically lifted themselves up, then they've begun to employ the other tribes around them that called them dogs before and give them employment with the Batwa as the bosses, but very fair bosses. I thought, man, they're going to get these guys under their thumb because they've been under their thumb. It's going to be payback. This is not going to be fun to watch. And the Batwa people have not done that at all. In fact, they have stepped into walking with Jesus in a really powerful way. Even though we came in in business and friendship with them, we would always just say, They'd say, why do you do this? Because we love Jesus. And then they wanted to know more about it. And they've started their own church. And they've begun to do that. So with probably 15,000 of the Batwa now, we've made this impact. Out of the 70,000, we still need to get to. And, and, and we see this turnaround. And things have changed for them. And it's like things are set right suddenly. In fact, in fact there are three mountains right around where they live now. And the other two tribes that are around them said only the Batwa are just. I, we want them to be the judge on every one of these mountains. Even though the, two of the mountains are controlled by other tribes. And the Batwa have become the judges. They're recognized in parliament. That's part of what I'm talking about. That's a little taste of it. What about right here at home? What you're doing? Fighting against sex trafficking in this hub of sex trafficking in the United States. What you're doing. And I want you to do it in every area. I, here's what I want you to do right now. Just in your mind say. God would you just show me a situation around me that's wrong. That I, I can be a part of making right. And God will show you. Because that's what he longs for us to do with him. Is to do justice. That's who he is. Making things right in an O so wrong world but he goes on and he says I also want mercy mercy it's the Hebrew word has said and it's a it's an amazing word it means loyal love it's said of God all the time his mercy endures forever you know what mercy really is I want you to write this definition of mercy down write it down and remember this doing unto others as God has done unto you. Doing unto others as God has done unto you. That's an amazing definition and exactly what mercy is. You see, the Bible says do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That's our golden rule. But mercy takes it even further and says do like what God did. You, you know what God did for you? One thing he did, he forgave you, didn't he? He forgave you. I mean, there are some pretty heinous things that you've done against God, and he forgave you. Let me tell you, you can't love mercy if you have a grudge in your heart against somebody this Christmas. You can't. There's no way. Those are in contrast. And the Bible says that you are 
to forgive. In fact, Jesus says, I need you to forgive because that releases and opens a channel for me to forgive you. If you don't forgive others their sins, I won't forgive you your sins. That's pretty powerful, isn't it? That's from Jesus. That's when he's giving the, the Lord's Prayer. He, he, he talks about that to expound on it. And, and so it's so important that we forgive this Christmas. Some of you have been holding on to something for so long and this is the time to forgive. Some of you are going like, well, you don't know what was done to me, Mark. I'm not minimizing it. What was done to you was awful. What was done to you was so unjust. What was done to you was beyond the pale of what should ever happen. But God says, do unto others as I have done unto you. Forgive. If you're a believer, you can do this because you have Jesus living inside of you. He's the one hanging on the cross, looked down at the ones that crucified him and said, Father, forgive them. Now, if he can do that, you can do this. Because he lives, his spirit lives in you. He wants to give you the power to do it. Some of you are going, I can't do it. If you really can't do it, then you're not a believer yet. Because a believer has the power to do it. Now, there's some misunderstandings about forgiveness. Some people think forgiveness is a feeling that you feel. Like, I forgive them. Oh, it feels so mushy and gushy. and ah. No, it's an action that you do. It's a choice that you make. That you might make a thousand times a day for a while. Right? Every time they come to mind. I forgive them. Some of you need to forgive your ex. This Christmas. Some of you need to forgive your stepdad this Christmas. Some of you need to forgive that person at work that, that killed your career this Christmas. And the Bible says it's for us, really, because when we hold unforgiveness, it eats, us, it eats our innards out, basically, is what the Bible says. Because, see, God is the one who's supposed to take vengeance. He's the one, he says, ultimately, I've got it. In fact, he says, step out of the way. Vengeance is mine I will repay. You're trying to be God when you try to hold that grudge. And you're not good at being God. In fact, you can't hold that kind of stuff inside of you and not have the core of you eaten out because you're not God. So you have to lay it down at the feet of God and trust him and step out of the way. He didn't say nothing would be done. He said, vengeance is mine. I will repay. Right? You're going, no, if I, if I let God do it, he's going to let him off the hook. I know it. That's not your business. You might be surprised. Okay? Step out of the way. Lay it down at his feet. And you might just kind of picture yourself doing it right now. Even in this service when we pray at the end. Just laying it down. Just laying it down. And some of you are going to be doing that all day today. Tomorrow. Next week. And if you have to celebrate Christmas with some of those that you feel that about you're going to be doing it a lot and then humility walk humbly the word humbly it comes from the Hebrew word that means carefully or modestly it speaks of an attitude that's the opposite of pride it's having a right view of yourself that's what I love about our church. You ever go to a church that it, it seems like that so many of the people there are going like, hey, God's so lucky to have us, you know? That's why I love you, community of faith. We are nothing like that. We're all going like, I can't believe God took me, right? I mean, I'm stunned still, 
I'm amazed still. And that's what I love about our staff. Our staff is just like you. Our, our pastoral staff, we're just like you and we all know it. And that's what I've always said. We're in this journey together. When you fall down, we're gonna pick you up and dust you off and go, come on, girl, you can make it. Come on, guy. We can finish this. We can do this. And if I fall down and I'm flat on my face, you pick me up and dust me off and say, come on, boy, you can do this. We can get this done. Let's finish this together. Let's finish this race together. That's what, I, that's what it's supposed to be like. That's what church is supposed to be about. God made me. Everything I have comes from him. Any good that I do comes from him. You know what's amazing about that? Humility and contentment go hand in hand. When you have humility, you look around. Some have more, some have less. That's not important to me. What's important to me is that I thank God for what he's given me. And I give that right back to him. And I ask him to use what he's given me to make a difference in the world today. Hosea, who was a contemporary of Micah, he wrote this. He said, I desire, this is God talking through Hosea. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. I want you to see what Jesus did with that verse in Matthew 9, 10 through 13. Listen to this. Now it happened as Jesus sat at the table in the house that behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard that, he said to them, those who are well have no need of physician. But those who are sick... But go, he, this is so interesting because he tells the most learned men of his day as far as the Bible goes. He says this, but go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. He's talking to the Pharisees, the religious leaders. And a lot of times we think of a Pharisee as someone that's all self-righteous. And many of them were. They were just self-righteous, you know, snots. But, but some of them were so sincere. They were sacrificing so much. They were trying to obey these legalistic laws. And one of those was don't hang around people, you know, that, that are, are doing wrong. Don't hang around people that, that aren't doing the right thing. And, and so that was one of their big things. And they saw Jesus hanging with them. And it's like, Jesus, we, I mean, we don't understand this. We don't understand what you're doing. And Jesus says, your sacrifices, I want mercy. I want you to be like me. I want to see my spirit flowing out through you, which is going to give forgiveness and love and take people that are far from God and, and pull them in. That's what this Christmas service that we're having Saturday night and Sunday of this next week is all about. It's a chance for you to pull in people far from God into relationship with him because he loves them and he longs for them and he's been pulling at them and he wants to use you this next weekend. That's one of the things he's calling us to. It's as simple as that, to bring your coworkers and bring your neighbors 
and bring your friends and bring your family members that are far from God and just say, hey, come to Christmas. They'll come if you ask them. They'll come. Jet lag can be brutal. Just ask my, uh, my daughter, Ashley. They just got in from Chiang Mai to Dallas, she and Adam. And if you, you know, drilled a hole right through the earth from Houston to the other side, Chiang Mai, Thailand would be over there. That's where they live as missionaries. And, and so we flew them back in there with Adam's family for a little while. I don't begrudge that very much. And uh, that's up in Dallas. And then they're going to come on Christmas Day and, and, and be with us for a week or so. And I'm so excited. But they were talking about jet lag. Tony Campolo was a pastor and he had experienced jet lag. He had flown in for a conference in Honolulu. He's in Waikiki Beach area. And um, he just he couldn't sleep because of the jet lag. It's 3 o'clock in the morning, and he's hungry, and he can't sleep. So he gets up out of his hotel and wanders around to try to find, you know, someplace. And all he can find is this grungy little diner. 3 o'clock in the morning. About 3.30, he's sitting there drinking coffee and eating a donut because he's a health food fanatic. And uh, in walk about nine prostitutes. And, and they just sit all around. In fact, he's right in the middle. Pastor Campolo in the middle of nine prostitutes. He felt a little uncomfortable. Uh, and he thought he would just finish up his coffee and donut as quick as possible. But he couldn't help but overhear the conversation. They, they had finished their night's work. And one of them said, tomorrow's my birthday. And uh, I'm going to be 39. And the other one says, what do you want from me? A birthday present? I mean, who cares? Who gives a rip, you know? And she says, why are you always so mean to me like that? She said, I'm just saying, I'm 39 tomorrow. I'm just letting you know. I'm not expecting a birthday party. I've never had a party once in my entire life. I've never had a birthday party. And they talked some more. And Tony Campolo decided to stay. And then the prostitutes left. And he went up to the man behind the counter. His name was Harry. And he said, Harry, do these ladies come in here every night? He goes, like clockwork, right at this time. He said, that lady that was next to me, he said, Agnes. Does Agnes come in every night? She'll be here tomorrow night. She'll be here next night. She'll be, she's in here every single night. And Tony Campolo says, I've got an idea. He said, what if tomorrow night we threw Agnes a birthday party? It's her birthday. She's 39. I overheard her. She's never had a party in her life. And Harry's going like, I love that idea. And so he said, I'll bring all the stuff. You, and, and Harry said, I'll make a cake. So the next night, a little after two, Tony Campolo got there and he had all the stuff. It said, happy birthday, Agnes, in big cutouts. And they decorated with balloons and, and all kinds of things. Now, Harry had got the word out around Honolulu and about half the prostitutes in Honolulu came for the party. Okay? So... It was just, I mean, they were all packed in there and they were going to surprise Agnes for her birthday and Harry had made a, a cake and sure enough, right at 3.30, in walks Agnes and her friend and everybody yells, surprise, happy birthday, Agnes. And she just, I mean, she almost buckled. She, she didn't know what was going on. She was just stunned for a minute. She had this look on her face that, that of just stunned, you know? And then... When they brought out the cake with 39 candles on. They'd called the fire marshal. It was okay. 
39 candles on this cake, she began to just weep uncontrollably. Harry had never seen a prostitute weep. And he was a little taken back with his cake, you know. And he said, uh, here you go, Alice. Why don't you blow out the candles and cut the cake? You know, Agnes. And, and Agnes, um, she blew out the candles. And they gave her the knife. And she, she said, uh, Harry, Harry, would you mind if, if I didn't cut the cake yet? Would you mind if I, I waited a little while? And Harry goes, hey, I don't care for all I care. You can take the cake home with you. And she picked it up and she held it up like it was the Holy Grail. And she walked out the door with it in her hands like that. And the door shut behind her and everybody looked around. They didn't know what to do. That was the birthday party. So Tony Campolo, being a pastor, he stood up on a chair and he said, why don't we pray for Agnes? And so Tony Campolo led about 50 prostitutes and Harry in a prayer for Agnes. When he got finished and said amen, Harry looked at him and he said, I didn't realize that you were a preacher. You didn't tell me that. And he said, what kind of church do you go to anyway? And sometimes the words just come. I think it's from God. And Tony Campolo said, Harry, I go to the church that throws a birthday party for prostitutes at 3.30 in the morning. And Harry goes, no, you don't. Because there's no church like that. If there was a church like that, I would join it. And Tony Campolo said, let me tell you about the founder of the whole thing. His name's Jesus. And he used to eat with prostitutes and sinners all the time. And he got to share. That's what it means to do what Micah said. To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly. I want you just to close your eyes for a minute. Community of faith, I love you because you are that church. We've even partnered with the landing. They're out on Bissonette. One of the heavy trafficked places. And what they're doing is they're asking for us to volunteer with them and go through training so that we can sit down and be a friend to prostitutes in need who just want to come in, talk about their life, maybe make a change, maybe not. But walk in friendship with them. Tell them about this one that loves us as we just walk in friendship. And watch what God does. It's amazing what God can do. Right now, wherever you are, do you love mercy? Have you got a grudge? Are you going to let it go? Are you going to obey God and let it go? Do you love him? I know you do. He says, let it go. Vengeance is mine. Let me take it. Feels a lot different when you're just putting it in his hands instead of just, oh, they get off scot free. No, I'm putting them in God's hands. That's what forgiveness is. Getting out of the way. Quit trying to be God. You're not good at it, it's eating you alive. Some of you, you see right now, you're thinking of some areas at work, home, your neighborhood, where this oh so wrong world needs to be righted. Not in some kind of self-righteous way, just in a sweet, Jesus-walking kind of way.